Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Medical School Headquarters Podcast, session number 141. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Medical School Headquarters podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're struggling with the MCAT, go to freemcatgift.com today and download our 30-plus page report with tips and tricks and discount codes for MCAT prep to help guide you on your MCAT preparation. If you haven't yet checked out premedlife.com, they are our partner magazine at premedlife.com, premedlife magazine. You can Go over there and read a ton of great articles to help guide you on your pre-med journey. They publish a new issue every two months, and go let them know that you found out about them from the medical school headquarters. All right, so last week was a different kind of week. If you haven't listened to that episode yet at medicalschoolhq.net slash 140 for episode 140, I highly encourage you to go listen to that episode to learn about some of the big changes that are going on here at the medical school headquarters with my life and with Allison's life and our life in general. Today, we are going to answer some more questions that listeners have sent in. We have, as always, a ton of great questions that you guys send in. You can send those questions to ryan at medicalschoolhq.net or you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash question to find the uh, contact form to leave a question. I will warn you that we uh, get a ton of questions and we don't always have a chance to respond back immediately. So if you have a pressing question, uh, it's probably not the best way to contact us uh, or, or we're not the best people to ask at this point. Uh, if you have pressing questions, the best place to get answers would be in the academy uh, or through some one-on-one coaching and advising that you can do with me. Again, Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Our first question comes from a recently graduated, uh, uh, not recently graduated, recently separated uh, active duty Air Force member, uh, not very uh, different than myself. And he has a question about whether all classes slash grades are factored into the GPA that admissions committees 
for MD medical schools consider. And this is a very confusing and a very popular question because there it's very cryptic on how it happens. The AMCAS application, again, A-M-C-A-S for the MD schools, the AMCAS application requires that you submit every grade from every school, from every, 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 wherever you've attended uh, undergrad, um, they, they pretty much require that you submit a transcript from that school and include every class that you've taken, including repeated classes, including classes that uh, might have been stricken from the record. You're technically supposed to, to put everything on there. Now, the AMCAS application breaks into two parts. There is a overall cumulative GPA, and then there's the BCPM is what it's known as, the science GPA. And BCPM stands for biology, chemistry, physics, and math. And that goes into a separate GPA that the admissions committee members can see. So they're looking at both your science courses and your overall GPA. Now, in in my case, when I applied to medical school, my overall GPA was lower than my science GPA. And that's typically not common. But what they're looking for is they're looking for the fact that you can handle the rigors of the science courses that you're going to be taking in medical school. And so they break them out. And one of the things you have to remember with the AMCAS application is when you have repeat courses, if you did poorly in one course and you you retook it, AMCAS will average those two grades together to get your overall grade. Now let's talk about the ACOMAS application, or A-A-C-O-M-A-S, the ACOMAS application for DO schools, for osteopathic medical schools, for repeat classes, they're going to take your newest grade. Again, not your, not a, uh, not an average of the two, but they're going to take your newest grade, not the highest grade. So if you take a class again and you, and you score lower, they're going to take that lower score. So you have to be very, very careful with doing that. So that is the answer to that question. Uh, a very common question um, for uh, beginning pre-med students. All right, another question came in about GPA, a little bit different this time. Uh, this is a student who recently graduated from Harvard and is now working in a lab, uh, has been pre-med his whole time, but took some time off. And he um, wants to know what ways could a potential applicant with little means to do post-graduation work bump their GPA? So how can you bump your GPA without doing much post-graduation work? And the answer is you can't bump your GPA unless you take courses. So I'm reading into this question um, with the fact that maybe it's it's time and money um, that is holding this person back from taking extra courses 
to bump their GPA. And let me kind of talk about what this person, what this student is looking at. So if, if you finish your undergraduate years, maybe you're a non-traditional student, you're thinking about reapplying or, or going back into medical, medical school, and uh, for some reason you have all of your, your prereqs done, but your GPA just isn't as high as you would want it to be, the, the way to fix that would be to take undergraduate level courses again, uh, also known as a post-bac, post-bac courses. You don't have to take a formal post-bac course through a, through a school. Um, you can what's called a, a do-it-yourself post-bac and just take courses at any college uh, for, for a non-degree. Uh, and taking those extra courses just adds more grades to your overall average. And so if you keep getting A's, and you're adding 4.0s to your 3.2, then your GPA will slowly go up. But if you actually look at the math, and if you have a full undergraduate career under your belt, it's going to take a lot of classes to move the needle. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. You can, you can look at your overall GPA and want to move the needle a lot, which means you have to take a lot of classes, or you take a semester or two of a do-it-yourself post-bac, taking higher-level science courses, and you rock it, and you get straight A's, and while your overall GPA won't go up, you'll show a great upward trend, positive trend in your GPA, and the admissions committee members can see that. They can see that positive trend, and they like positive trends. So that's what I would probably recommend to this person. The, the fact that it, it looks like maybe they're thinking about their total GPA that they're trying to bump instead of, instead of just their, their positive trend of their most recent stuff. But this person also talked about having a degree in biomedical engineering. And obviously engineering is a very tough undergraduate major, especially for pre-med students. And so I w- he doesn't put on here what his GPA is, but he, you have to take into account that it's an engineering degree. He also went to one of the toughest colleges in the, in the country. And so even if his GPA is a little bit lower, it's going to look a lot better to, to some schools as long as um, they're able to, to screen through his GPA and see everything else that goes behind it. So my recommendation to bump your GPA, either take a formal or do-it-yourself post back that includes a lot of courses. It's going to take a year or two to give a big swing in your GPA or just show a nice positive trend uh, over a, a semester or two and, and try that. All right. This next question comes from Maria, she gave us uh, permission to use her name. She's from Canada, uh, also known as your friend, our friends up north, as she put in the email. And Maria has a dilemma about loving travel and loving medicine. And I'll read a little snippet of, of it here. It says, travel and academics are probably the two most prominent themes in my life. If I'm not thinking about one, I'm thinking about the other. If I'm not doing one, I'm doing the other. The problem is that they aren't always 
the most compatible. The more I look into the lifestyle of a physician, the more I fear that I will have to choose one over the other. A high school friend of mine is doing her residency in Chicago after studying medicine in Poland and mentioned that she chose family meds so that she can have a life. Is this really the fate of a wonder luster at heart? Will I have to choose to settle the ultimate condemnation to a traveler, sacrifice my traveling goals in order to achieve my academic goals? So Maria, here is the big dilemma. So I think for many years, you will have to put your travel dreams on hold. As you go through medical school, as you go through residency, you are going to be committed to your training. And that's just a the, the nature of the beast. Don't expect to do a ton of traveling. Yes, you will have vacations. Yes, you will be able to get away during those vacations. But... After you are done with your residency, with your formal training, then the sky is the limit. The only thing that will hold you back is your ability to earn a paycheck if you want one. So typically you need to go work someplace to earn a paycheck. Uh, beyond that, you there there are many opportunities to travel as a physician and do volunteer work. Uh, Doctors Without Borders is an amazing uh, opportunity for that, and there are plenty of paid um, travel opportunities as well. I'm not as familiar with those, but there there are ways to travel as a physician. Especially, it it, it depends here. I don't see exactly how you want to travel but if you want it like it like where you want to travel but as a locum tenens physician basically a, a, almost like a per diem physician you do contracts here and there and everywhere you can get a ton of traveling in you can go be a locum tenens physician in Hawaii for 6 months hang out in Hawaii for 3 months and then go take another contract somewhere else for 6 months and hang out for 3 months you can do whatever you want. The only limitation is going to be how much money you make. And it all depends on the lifestyle that you want. Obviously, traveling is important. And so the the cost of traveling, it needs to be worked in there as well. But there are a ton of opportunities. Don't let uh, the fear of horror stories of medical students and residents hating their life and not having time to do anything uh, hold you back. Uh, if you can find a job that will be able to marry both your love of medicine and your love of travel. So, Maria, thank you for that question. Again, if you have a question, you can shoot us an email, medicalschoolhq.net. I am Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Allison is Allison at medicalschoolhq.net. Our last question comes in, about a non-traditional path, and a lot of you are non-traditional students, and this uh, this person also is from Canada, which is uh, great. A lot of Canadians listening to the show. But the the question here: this person majored in accounting, um, got a bachelor's and master's degree in accounting, and so they haven't taken any science courses. And they have a lot of questions about what to do next. So 
their first question, their first thing they're trying to understand is the process for obtaining uh, what they say is the three to four prerequisite courses usually required um, uh, by medical schools, I'm assuming. And again, very similar to our, our discussion earlier about post-back courses, this is how you do it. Even though you have your bachelor's degree, even though you have your master's degree, you can go back and take classes at an undergraduate institution, a university, and get the classes that you need added to your your transcripts. They're non-degree classes. You, you have to take them. You'll, it's kind of harder to get those classes because they're usually reserved first for degree-seeking students. Uh, some universities will will put those degree-seeking students before you as far as um, scheduling those courses and getting a spot for those courses. But that's how you do it. You just go to the university, one, the one that's near you or, or the one that you went to as an undergrad and say, hey, I need to take a couple extra courses so I can apply to medical school. It's, it's as simple as that. Uh, their next question, whether it would be better to focus on programs that do not require prerequisites resulting in focusing on the MCAT. And I I don't know if I understand the question. They, it sounds like they want to know if she should find medical schools that don't have any prereqs um, so that she can just focus on the MCAT. The problem is the MCAT's going to require you to have some of those prereqs under your belt so you have some basic knowledge of the sciences. And it's not a quote-unquote requirement from uh, the AAMC to sit for the MCAT but it's a it's just a requirement from a knowledge standpoint that you have some of that that knowledge for the MCAT. So in your first question you said 3 to 4 prerequisite courses. There's going to be more that you're going to need for the MCAT and and so um I I think there's a lot more than you may be expecting. Uh the the next part of her question is what MCAT study process what the MCAT study process would entail. And for somebody like you who has uh, no prereqs under your belt, um, science especially, very, very little science courses under your belt, I would talk to, to Next Step Test Prep, a company that we had talked about a couple shows ago. I've talked to them several times on the show and, and have done interviews with them. But they are a company that will be able to sit down with you, find out what your strengths and weaknesses are, and put together a plan for you, whether you do it with them or or you once you work out a plan, you do it on your own. I think that's where you go. You go to Next Step Test Prep, let them know you heard about them from the medical school headquarters, they'll save a little money, and, and find out what they think uh, is best for you. All right, that's all the questions uh, that I have to answer today. There are a ton of more questions in the email, but those are the only ones I'll, I'll answer today. Again, if you have questions, the best place to ask them is to just email medicalschoolhq.net. I am Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Allison is Allison at medicalschoolhq.net. You can also join our closed kind of private Facebook group at medicalschoolhq.net slash group. In that uh, arena, you can ask a ton of questions. It's a very active community of pre-med students just like yourself who are looking for answers looking for support, 
and looking for a community. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash group. Also, we had uh, several people, our, our non-traditional students that, that ask questions today. A lot of you listening are non-traditional students. Go check out oldpremeds.org, another great community where you can get a lot of questions asked by very friendly, very open, very kind, non-SDN-ish uh, people over there. Again, oldpremeds.org. I hope you got a ton of great information out of this podcast as always, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. 